Jim Sanders pioneered wine in Atlanta and introduced the great wines of Europe into Atlanta's dining tradition. Over the years, Sanders owned five wine stores, several gourmet restaurants, and taught thousands of us about fine wine. One evening long ago, three men, all historic figures, met unexpectedly in his store near Georgia State Capitol. Sanders wrote about the events, kept them in his desk drawer, and gave them to me just prior to his death. Here is Jim Sanders in his own words. Requiem for three wine tasters. It was the most unlikely gathering, completely impromptu, and so bizarre that before going to bed that night, I wrote down everything that was said. Sometimes I still don't believe it. In the early 1960s, I operated Atlanta's first fine wine shop in conjunction with a delicatessen and small lounge. Among our regular customers was the legendary newspaper man, Ralph McGill, who dropped by quite often to purchase a case or two and talk about interesting people and interesting wines. On a thunder-showered evening, Mr. McGill and I were drinking an unassuming Tarragona Rosé, and we were discussing an earthquake that had struck Alaska two weeks earlier when I felt my own earth tremble. For up to the table strode ex-Georgia Governor Marvin Griffin, an arch-segregationist and one of Mr. McGill's staunchest political and sociological enemies. The former governor had already greeted me and was sliding into the booth before he recognized my other guest, whom during early political and integration skirmishes he had derisively dubbed Rastus McGill. By then, Mr. McGill, who had returned the favor by labeling Governor Griffin a racist bigot and accusing his administration of having taking ways, had eased as far back in the booth as the wall would allow. Governor Griffin jumped in shock when he recognized his old adversary, and I feared an unpleasant scene. But I need not have worried. Governor Griffin stuck out his hand and said, How are you, Mr. McGill? The famous editor replied, well, I'm fine, Governor, and I'm pleased to see you again. Noticing my obvious concern, he said, Don't worry, Jim. We can always talk about the weather. And wine, I added, hopefully. And wine, they agreed. Governor Griffin, who had abided wine with me on numerous occasions, but was by no means an aficionado, accepted a glass of the rosé, and the conversation turned to the death a few days earlier of General Douglas MacArthur, whom Mr. McGill had interviewed several times, and under whom Governor Griffin and I had served during World War II. Just then I excused myself, for a customer had entered the wine department. A stonky, well-dressed black man, the polite term used in those days was Negro, had been by previously for a bottle of Ammon Toledo as a gift for a friend. He again selected a sherry, and his attention was captured by some rare burgundies. He fondled them, but could not bring himself to purchase them. That's when Mr. McGill spotted him. Mr. McGill came out of the lounge, shook hands with my customer, and the two moved into a corner to talk. Anticipating a lengthy conversation, I rejoined Governor Griffin, probably Georgia's most accomplished raconteur. He had just finished one of his famous stories when Mr. McGill returned to the table, bringing his customer with him. Gentlemen, he said, you know the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., don't you? Governor Griffin replied, like we say in South Georgia, we nodded, but we haven't shook, and he extended his hand. So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. joined the tasting. 
There, towards the height of the civil rights controversy, the world's foremost champion of integration, one of the nation's most liberal newspaper men, and one of the South's most outspoken segregationists, sat down together to enjoy a glass of fine wine. Over the flavorful little rosé, we talked about the quality of wines. Dr. King and Governor Griffin asked almost the identical question, wondering if there was any real difference in wines of the same name. To prove the point, I poured taste of three sauternes, a low-priced jug type, a very fruity one from Ohio, and a classic 1953 vintage from one of France's great vineyards. Of course, the quality differences were overwhelming. Each was distinguishable by color and smell alone. The Ohio wine was three times as flavorful as the first, and the last was in an exalted class of its own. Dr. King exclaimed, It's like the best cantaloupe you've ever tasted compared to damp pasteboard. In the ensuing conversation, we learned that while at college in Boston, Dr. King had a friend and benefactor who owned a cellar and everything, that he had been poured wines at formal dinners, but that he never had an opportunity to learn much about them. It was obvious that he knew how to taste wines, and probably more than the others, he appreciated what he was tasting. Governor Griffin had been exposed to many fine wines as governor of Georgia, and through my efforts when I worked and traveled with him 15 years earlier. He was fascinated by and remembered many of their names, but admittedly his taste went more to whiskey with just a touch of branch water, he said. Mr. McGill had drunk good wines for many years, and he understood and appreciated them. I often teased him for taking the Will Rogers approach to wines. He never met one he didn't like and he particularly liked to drink wines from regions he had seen firsthand. Upon his return from frequent trips abroad, friends knew they'd have to drink and discuss the wines of Portugal, Hungary, Chile, or whatever country he had just visited. As the wines were analyzed, talk never approached anything, even slightly controversial. It was as if all three were well-armed, but no one would be the first to draw his weapon. The atmosphere could not be termed chummy, but neither was it cold. Carefully polite and extremely respectful probably are the best words. Governor Griffin and Dr. King remembered a mutual acquaintance from Griffin's home county, a black country preacher who was a local legend, so they took turns telling stories about him, including one about how, after a long drought, he prayed for rain continuously for several days. Finally, what they described as a gully-washing frog drowner came down and washed all the newly planted crops out of the ground. As one old farmer explained, they had somebody praying for rain that didn't know nothing about agriculture. Remembering how longingly Dr. King had looked at the 1957 Latash, I opened a bottle and poured samples all around. At once, the three tasters knew this to be a new dimension in wines something entirely different and uncommonly fine. All three found proper words to describe it. Big, rich, flowery, like satin. But the expressions on their face said more than their words, for each recognized this as Venus Jewel. By now, Dr. King's driver was growing impatient and reminded him of an appointment. As he paid for his sherry, Dr. King said, There's more to this kind of wine than I thought. I'd like to come back soon and learn more. But he never did. He went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize a few months later and to intensify his struggle for civil rights, which gained momentum right up to his tragic assassination 
four and one half years later. Marvin Griffin took a different road. He helped organize Senator Barry Goldwater's unsuccessful presidential campaign that summer and remained emphatic in his fight against integration as a small-town but widely quoted newspaper publisher until his death in 1982. A few months before he died, he said, You really assembled a motley gang that night we tasted the wines. I felt like I was in the camp of the Philistines, but it was sort of fun to see my competition up real close. Ralph McGill continued to prod and to provoke the Southern social conscious as the publisher of the Atlanta Constitution and to join me regularly for what we called a glass of the good stuff and a little upper-level wine talk until he died suddenly in 1969. When I drove off that evening, Mr. McGill and Governor Griffin, on a first-name basis by now, were leaning against an automobile in the parking lot, talking about a Depression-era Georgia governor named E.D. Rivers. Since then, I've often wondered how different events of the 1960s might have been had the three leading characters of this vignette sat down together a few years sooner for a glass of the good stuff and a little upper-level wine talk. <laughs>